John chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Lord God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would renew our hearts and our minds and work within us by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit to transform us into what you call us to be. Bless our pastor, give him strong, powerful voice, one that is equipped, Lord, by your strength and your will to do your holy work now. May it be so, in Jesus' name. 2020 has been a very lean year. I think as we come out of it, we feel like we've been sort of squeezed dry. We were sponges, it's like there's nothing left, you know. All of life maybe has been squeezed by. Of course, we know that hundreds of thousands have died of COVID in America and a couple million worldwide. And then, of course, all the other dear ones who have been lost due to other causes during this past year. But beyond that, so many of the ordinary joys of life were gone. Just getting together with family and friends, casually hanging out, going to restaurants to eat and enjoying a good conversation there, vacations and travel, even the comfort and the encouragement of meeting together to worship our great God. It's been a lean year, I think. But in some ways, the darkness of this past year helps us to understand why Jesus came. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' own explanation for Christmas. Just looking at those phrases where Jesus explained why he came. And I'd like to continue that today by looking at John's Gospel, chapter 10. And I'd like to look at it in a very simple way. A very dark world, a code word that all of God's people have to learn, a code word, and then finally the way to life. The parable, and I think it's okay to take this as a parable, even though that word itself is not used in a text, the parable begins with a description of a dark world. The world is dark. It's unsettling, but it's the way Jesus begins. It's a dark, maybe we could say dreary, dangerous world where thieves and robbers run through the streets ready to break in and take what is most precious to us. Chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up by some other way. He is a thief and a robber. He's talking about these attackers, these destroyers who surround the sheep pen. So all the flock are gathered together in this sheep pen. 
and there's attackers trying to get in. That's the picture of the world. I read at the beginning of the service from Zacharias and his prophecy, the father of John the Baptist, and he described the world in a very picturesque way. He said, the world is sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. I think to appreciate Christmas, we have to see that. That's the setting of Christmas. If we had eyes to see the way God sees the world, this is what we would see, a world sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is not the Black Plague, which wiped out a third of Europe. This is not the Spanish flu of 1918. This is not COVID-19, but it's a spiritual plague. That's what it's talking about, a spiritual darkness. It's minds that are so deceived, so blinded, that people no longer turn to God for life, even though they know rationally that he's the giver of life. He created everything, so where else would we go to life but to God? It's a picture of a world that's dark because lives are ruined. Relationships are destroyed because there are spiritual vandals at work everywhere. John actually gives a picture of this. It's a somewhat surprising picture, a picture of this in John chapter 9, the previous chapter. It's the account of the man born blind who is healed by Jesus. And I think John wants us to keep that in mind during this teaching of Jesus, this recitation of the parable. One reason for thinking that is, of course, because the teaching immediately follows that account in John chapter 9. Another reason is that John sort of bookends it. If you look at chapter 10, after talking about our text and then some more about the shepherd and the sheep, he closes with these verses in chapter 10, verse 19. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many were saying he has a demon. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So John takes us back again to that account in the ninth chapter. That's what Jesus has been talking about. It's a great chapter to read. I encourage you to do that. This man, he's born blind. I'm not going to tell you the story because you should read it. You can't really, in a short way, I can't anyway, convey the humor of it or really appreciate how impertinent and brash this blind man is because he tells it just like he sees it. He doesn't care who he's talking to. He's a truth teller indeed. He's not respected much by anybody. I think that's important. He's considered a nobody. He's called a sinner at the beginning of the chapter. He's described as a beggar. That means helpless, dependent on others, no status in society. And the Pharisees comment on his ignorance. So he's not one of any stature. And yet, it's interesting in this telling of the story in chapter 9, John shows how he dissects the logic of these learned Pharisees and he exposes them and then he absolutely mocks their hypocrisy. It's one of God's sheep. And they, they, these Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law, are a picture of the robbers and thieves because as you read the account, you see what they're trying to do. They're trying to destroy his faith in Jesus. Tell us the truth. No, I know it's not Jesus. What really happened? They're trying to take his eyes off of Jesus. They don't look big and scary, you see. I think that's one thing to keep in mind. They're not hiding behind dark bushes ready to leap out on everybody. This is, I think, more of a white-collar crime. In John chapter 10, he's talking about people who come dressed with titles and people who come as teachers. But what do they do? 
chapter 10, verse 10 begins like this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. They're spiritually ruining people's lives. So Jesus came into this kind of a world. And the contrast is stark in the verse that I just read. Because then it continues. The thief comes, verse 10, chapter 10, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in a word, that's the Christmas story. That contrast. A dark world, people destroying everybody, spiritual life being vandalized, and then in comes the light of the world to bring abundant life to everybody. That's Christmas. I wonder what your picture is of abundant life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. What would be abundant life for you? I think, honestly, for a lot of us, it would have to do with money. Enough money, maybe more than enough, but certainly enough money. Thinking about a young boy I knew, maybe when he was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, somehow he got it into his mind that there's gold that you can dig out of the earth. Maybe he saw a movie or pirate show or something, and he just wanted this gold. He wanted it badly. Everywhere he went, he had a little shovel he carried. So his friends would be playing and on the swings or talking or kicking a ball, and he'd be out there somewhere digging for gold. He wanted to find gold. Now, of course, we thought it was funny. We'd stare out the window at him and laugh. But the sad truth is that some never grow out of that stage. They're always carrying around a shovel. More gold, and I'll have abundant life. For others, of course, it's friends and family. That would be abundant life. And what a blessing that is from God. And it is from God. For yet others, it's achievement at work or in sports, achieving some status in society, titles. For many others, it's about health. Abundant life would be to be just really healthy. And so, of course, there's all kinds of quack remedies that are offered to us because we're so hungry for that kind of abundant life. All kinds of promises are made about, you know, you buy this for me, you'll be wrinkle-free, you'll be strong, you'll be vigorous, you'll be more manly, you'll be youthful, you'll have abundant life. I wonder what abundant life really means. This word is interesting. It has, it's translated, I should say, in a range of words in English, and I thought I would just read some of those in the way it's translated elsewhere, because it'll give you a flavor of what Jesus had in mind when he used this word. I've come to give you life abundantly. The word is translated as excessively, completely, fully, more, in a superior way. It's translated as superfluous, as more than enough. It is a word used to refer to leftovers, where you have plenty, you know, like Thanksgiving. That's what's great about Thanksgiving. You have a great feast, you can't eat anymore, and then you have food for several more days, snacks, good sandwiches, everything is there. That's abundance. It's leftovers. It's overflow. It's surplus. Those are the kinds of words that should come to mind when we think of the abundance that Jesus promises. I think of the psalmist. I think of the famous Psalm 23, verse 5, I think it is, where it says, my cup overflows. And the Hebrew word there has the idea of saturated. It's a sponge, you know, that's saturated. It can't hold anymore. If you add any more, it just starts to drip out. It's a life that's saturated with life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So in John's gospel, of course, 
One of the things it clearly points us to is eternal life. Eternal life is not just length of life, by the way, you know, just life never ending, like that movie Groundhog Day, you know, you, the man who woke up every day and the previous day just repeated again. That would be a condemnation, you know, not a promise. But it's eternal life is a life lived with a new quality. It's God's life, it's Jesus' life in us, and it begins now. The germ has been planted in us. It's brimming with the life of Jesus. So the promises that John makes, and there's so many, but Jesus makes so many promises about what this life is like in John 15, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, that whole idea of abundance is there. I've come that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. He says, you may be filled with the Holy Spirit, which would be like a river of water running out of you. We read earlier from John chapter 4, this living water would be like a spring springing out with fresh water from within us. It's life that never ends. Because I live, Jesus said in John 14, you will live. Because I live, you will live. Resurrection. So that's Christmas. It's the promise of abundant life. So it's a dark, lawless world where many are trying to ruin your life, destroy your life. That word is used in this text. When it talks about destroy, ruin, bring to naught your life, there's many who are trying to do that. It's a dark world, but Jesus comes to bring abundant life, to make you flourish, to make you blossom. So, secondly, how can we tell? Don't you think that's the question? If these Pharisees, these people in the temple are a picture of those who are thieves and robbers, how can we tell? Because they look pretty normal. They look like, well, they look like us. You know, they look like people that we know now. And so that brings me to the code word. Jesus keeps it very simple. You have to know one code word, which, well, stands for something, but it's a code word that'll keep you safe from the assaults of thieves and robbers. Let me come to that in a moment. Jesus begins this parable with these words, truly, truly, I say to you. Chapter 10, verse 1. It's used twice, and it's only used in John's gospel, by the way, this expression. It means pay attention. This is important. I'm about to tell you something that you can bank on. Literally, it's amen, amen. It gives us a little clue as to what it means when we say amen at the end of a prayer. He's saying pay attention to this. So the first place he uses it in our text, he uses it twice, is in chapter 10, verse 1. It's what we've been talking about the nature of our spiritual world, he's saying, don't be naive. I want to tell you this for sure. Truly, truly, we live in a world that's full of spiritual robbers and thieves. Don't think that everything spiritual is good. Don't think that every person who comes to you in the name of God is telling you the truth. Don't think that everybody who wears a Jesus pin is really representing Jesus. Don't listen to everybody. Don't be naive. So that's the first place he uses it. The second place is where the code word is introduced. It's in verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's the secret to identifying every thief and robber. It's to remember this, the door is Jesus. The door is Jesus. He explains what he means by this. He means the mark of a thief and a robber is that they don't come through the door. He's just making it very simple. So let's reread the beginning now. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by me, by Jesus, into the 
fold of the sheep or climbs up by some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by Jesus is a shepherd of the sheep. And then let's read verses 7 through 9 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The door is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple. It's a very simple truth, and it's mentioned by John again in his first letter, that we have to ask, what do they say about Jesus? Because that's the door. Thieves and robbers will not come acknowledging all that Jesus is and all that he claimed about himself and all that he promised, that he is the creator through whom all things were made in heaven and on earth, and that he was incarnated, born in the flesh on Christmas Day. They will not acknowledge that he is the one ransom, the one ransom for all of us who frees us from bondage. They won't acknowledge that he's the savior of all mankind. Every nation and tribe have to come through this particular door. They won't know and acknowledge that he's the physician who heals the sin-sick souls. So the code is simple. The door is Jesus. That's the code. All he claimed, all he promised. So we have to ask ourselves, do they acknowledge Christmas? Isn't that easy? In other words, that the creator of heaven and earth, I know this is incredible, the creator of heaven and earth put on flesh and dwelt among us. He was born as a little baby boy. Do they acknowledge the cross? That this Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from their sins? And do they acknowledge the resurrection? That he rose again in glory and lives forevermore. The door is Jesus. So Jesus says, all who came before me, in verse 8, were liars and thieves. He's not talking about the prophets who prophesied about the Messiah, but really he's talking about those who don't come through the door. That is, those who didn't acknowledge the Messiah. All those who had other claims and pointed people elsewhere aside from the Messiah where the faithful of God looked. And it includes religious leaders and teachers, like those presented in John chapter 9. Those are the thieves and the robbers. It's people in churches, it's people who are spiritual, it's people who speak of God, it's people who teach about Jesus, it's people who quote the Bible, but they're robbing the people of God if they don't accept, if they in any way detract from the unique glory of Jesus as the only ransom from sinners, the one born in a manger, the God of creation. That's what Jesus is saying through him. A couple years ago, a church wanted to do something nice to bring the community together. You know, you can appreciate their motive. So they had a birthday celebration for Jesus and for Muhammad on the same day with one cake. You know, let's just bring everybody together. It's all the same, they were saying. So what they were doing is they were diluting the glory of Jesus by denying his uniqueness. It's like putting up You know, portraits of Jesus along with portraits of everyone else. It's like putting up symbols of our Christian faith. You see this on bumper stickers. The cross along with symbols of every other faith. It's saying, yeah, this is one among many. And these are people who might talk about spirituality. They'll talk about religion. They'll talk about God. But they're not coming in through the door. Some, of course, are so obvious. They're almost literally thieves. It's a surprise that Christians continue to fall for them. I've told you about the story of the dear older woman who was in our congregation for 
sometime many years ago and just, you know, uh, scraping by, didn't have anything extra and she was having a little physical problem and she saw this guy on television promising that if she sent him $20, he would send her a prayer rug and if she prayed on this anointed prayer rug, she would be healed. And so she sent him the $20 and she got her prayer rug, which was a eight and a half by 14 sheet of paper with a rug pattern printed on it. And I don't know which was worse, the fact that she didn't get healed or the fact that after a couple of weeks had passed, they asked for the rug back. Could you mail it back to us so other people can use this? Just print another one. Who cares? And I think the worst thing was what it did to her faith, the doubts it put in her mind, you see. It's not the 20 bucks. These vandals are destroying faith. I saw a poster selling a subscription to prayers for your child. So when your baby's born, you can enroll the little baby girl in this service and you pay a monthly fee and they promise they'll pray for the baby every day. Isn't that great? Vandals, thieves, destroying the people of God, distracting them from the promises that Jesus has made and from Christ himself. What they're doing is like poison to the soul of Christians. But it is not just religious people. I think in our day and age, we have to understand that in the secular world, there are also people who are distracting us from the truth of Jesus. Sometime, I'll have to talk about how the word religion is misused because by calling one group, namely us, religious, we seem to exclude everybody else from being evaluated by the same standards. But let's look at those teachers, professors, authors, people in the media who bend the hearts and minds of people away from Jesus. I mean, just think about it. There's people we're told we have to trust. They come and talk to us and give us counsel about life itself, about marriage and family and money and how to deal with the emotional troubles that we might have. Do we ever ask, did they come through the door? Does their advice honor the one who was God incarnated? Does it honor the one who was crucified and raised again? I don't think that's a question we're permitted to ask anymore. It's just part of the background now. I do like to read what other people are saying in our society. I like to read their books. I like to listen to their ideas. Many times I'm drawn to them because I share the compassion that they feel. I share the pain that they have when they see injustice and I share the way that they work for peace, for example. I think every human heart yearns for these things. That's why we're drawn to those things. I think every Christian should yearn for those things. The Bible yearns for those things. It cries out to care for the poor, the oppressed, the powerless, to speak for those who have no voice. The Bible says we should be doing those things. But here's the question. What are their solutions? What are their solutions? Do they come through the door? If you ask for what their vision is of an abundant, prospering, good society, does Jesus have anything to do with it? If Jesus had never come, if he was never born, if there was never a Christmas, never a cross, never a resurrection, would it affect the way they are seeking to make changes in any way? And the answer is no, it wouldn't it at all. Nothing would change. They see the darkness in the world that we see, but the way they're healing, the way they're seeking solutions has nothing to do with Jesus. They're not coming through the door. So as Christians, we have to watch out for thieves and robbers, Jesus is saying, and the code word is easy. 
Are they coming through the door? Are they acknowledging all that Jesus is and all that he claimed about himself? And so the upshot, and I want to close with this, at least the third point is that we have to notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be careful, my sheep. He closes with the way to life. The way to real life, the way to abundant life is the shepherd. To know him, to listen to him, and to follow him. Simple, right? Jesus is speaking to his sheep, and he's speaking in very simple ways to us. Let me read again verse 3 and 5. The sheep hear the voice of the good shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the shepherd. Jesus is saying we need protection. We need a shepherd because we can be easily fooled. I don't know what you've done, but this has been a year when a lot of people have bought a lot of things online. I hope you were happy with everything you got. Some of us maybe were fooled. We read reviews. How many stars did this item get? Can I trust it? We forget that some of these reviews were actually written by paid reviewers. A national newspaper did a long article on where these reviews came from. And one interesting illustration of this was one woman who bought three vacuum cleaners, six desk chairs, and 26 pairs of earbuds and gave them all five-star reviews. And you say, wow, where'd you get that money? Well, it didn't cost her a penny because the manufacturers paid her for all that stuff and she got to keep it. Would you trust her? We're naive. You know, we believe people. We believe those golden stars, and we end up with junk. I, this year, bought a book that looked so good. The picture looked good. It didn't say very much about it, but it ended up being like a pamphlet. I thought, boy, this is a good price for this book. Well, it wasn't that good of a price for a pamphlet, and that's all I got. bought a car set for my grandkids, one of those racetracks, you know, that goes together. Such a good price, such fabulous reviews. The tracks were this flimsy plastic that never fit together. One of the cars worked for only a little while and then died. The other car never worked. But why? You know, just such a deal. Such a deal. Go for it. We're naive, you see. That's what it's saying. And the worst thing is it's not the stuff we buy, but we get advice on life itself. As I said, we get advice. We buy advice through books and other means on marriage and relationships, on sexuality, on love, even with our relationship with God, our happiness. What would make me happy in life? And these robbers are clever. They come dressed as experts with titles, and they come with great reviews with five stars <laughs> after their name. And what they sell looks like freedom, and it looks like happiness, and the regret and the bitter tears only come later. Be careful. That's what this parable is saying to his people. So we listen to all these people and sometimes we never even stop to ask. We never notice that they never came through the door. We were so caught up in their sales pitch, so caught up in the reviews that other people were giving them, that we never asked, are they coming through the door? Are they acknowledging Jesus as the Savior of all mankind? God made flesh, the one crucified and risen again. So what this is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that we need protection from false teachers, thieves, robbers who steal and steal what God has given to us, who destroy our souls. And the way to do it, verses 4 and 5, is to know the voice of the shepherd. 
The sheep know his voice and they follow. How do you get to know someone? You know, it's easy to recognize someone that you've spent a lot of time with, isn't it? You can recognize a loved one's voice with just a word. Someone can text you, even from someone else's phone, and they may have a particular style of texting and you'll immediately recognize it. A woman wrote that she can always tell that the text is from her mom because her mom uses those abbreviations all wrong. You know, she said her mom texted her and said, your aunt just died, LOL. And the girl texted back, mom, that's not funny. And after a while, the mom said, oh, man, I can't believe it. I texted that to the whole family. I thought LOL meant lots of love. That's from my mom, I can tell. Misused abbreviations. If we did something without much care, much thought, my dad would always say, you can't just do that willy-nilly. I've never heard anybody use that expression, willy-nilly. If I saw that in a letter, I'd know it's got to be from my dad. Who else would have written willy-nilly? There are things you learn about someone if you just spend a lot of time with them, isn't there? You can tell who someone is, their identity, from a distance before you can see their face. Because you can tell their walk, you can tell their gait. There's something about the way they carry their body. No one else could tell who it is, but you've seen this person over and over. You know how they look. You can tell this is the one I love. So sheep have to learn their shepherd's voice. How? Well, we have to be around Jesus a lot. By hearing him over and over again. By reading his word over and over. By hearing it preached over and over. By meditating on it. By memorizing it. We begin to see, yeah, I can recognize this is Jesus. And what this guy over here is saying, nope, that doesn't sound at all like my Jesus. The one I see in the Bible. And so from the time of being born, what happens to our kids? Little lambs hear their parents read the Bible and they hear it preached in their churches. At least that's what parents are supposed to do. That's their responsibility. They grow up from a young age starting to recognize the voice of the true shepherd. They become familiar with it. And when they run into strangers, as verse 5 says, they know, nope, this is not it. As friends give them advice, which is not coming through the door through Jesus, they say, this doesn't sound right to me. There's something wrong with this. As they get older and they hear teachers who are telling them things which are not coming through the door, they immediately recognize this does not sound at all like Jesus who's presented in the Scriptures. And it protects them, protects them from this danger to their souls. What Jesus is saying is that 2021 is going to be a dangerous year. (laughs) I know, we're, we're thinking we're all done with it, right? 2020. But Jesus is saying every year is dangerous. And the viruses that affect our body are the least of the dangers because there's thieves and robbers seeking to break in and destroy the souls of men and women. But he has the remedy. I am the door, verse 9. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, kept safe. And he will go in and out and find pasture. That is, he'll be fed well. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Let's pray. We want to begin, Jesus, by just thanking you for coming for Christmas. We've been celebrating it and thinking about it and meditating on it, this amazing truth that you broke into history. You limited yourself in ways that we cannot imagine 
infinite, glorious creator of heaven and earth lying in a manger. And you humbled yourself for our sake, for the sake of your love for us, and we thank you. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us in the coming year, that you would be our guardian, our savior, our deliverer, our teacher, our shepherd. Help us, Lord, to grow in the recognition of your voice and thereby find safety in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. There's a kind of fear that many of God's people have. It's this idea that God's idea of good might not be your idea of good. So when we pray for God to do us good, to bless us, His idea of happiness might involve you know, living like a lonely monk in a mountain or no cake ever for the rest of your life or something like that. Like, like parents who think their kids should be delighted when they get gifts of underwear and socks when what the kid really wanted was a radio-controlled helicopter. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 11. If you being evil... He's talking to parents, foolish, not so much knowledgeable about what makes for lasting happiness. If you being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to those who ask? He knows what is good, that's what I'm saying. He knows what's really good. And so that's my prayer, that may 2021 be saturated with the goodness of the Lord. And may the Lord Jesus make your life Make his life abound in you this coming year. Amen.